Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here today. Uh, many of our members are, are uh, away or are sick today, but we're very encouraged to have many visitors with us. I want you to know that we're, we're encouraged by your presence. Uh, and even if we were to, to stop and go home now, singing these songs together, praying together, remembering the Lord's death, uh, certainly uh, it has been edifying to be together. And now as we turn his, uh, our attention towards his word, I hope that we can uh, be built up and, and encouraged by uh, what God has to say. It's not about the, the words of, of Grady Huggins or anyone else, uh, but we want to put the focus on uh, the Lord's revelation to us within the scriptures. To start off, I, I want us to consider the words of the song that we just sang. Uh, I want to be a worker for the Lord. Did we mean what we just said? Do, do we truly have a desire to work for the Lord, to, to be busy every day in his vineyard? Or, or do we just sing those words because that's what it says on the page? <laughs> we also made a promise in that song. We said, I will work. I will pray. I will labor every day in the vineyard of the Lord. The Lord doesn't pr take promises lightly. Did we mean what we said? Because if we want to be a disciple of Christ, it's going to mean putting on his yoke, putting our hands to the plow and working. If we want to be a member of Christ's body, it's going to have to mean being an active member within his church. If we want to reach the eternal rest of heaven, that is promised to us. We need to be busying ourselves in the Lord's work while here on earth. We need to be faithful stewards of his. And so today I want to discuss what it takes to be a worker of the Lord, to fulfill the promise that we just made to him. I want to look at the desire to be a worker, the diligence that it takes, and the direction uh, necessary to be a faithful worker in the Lord's kingdom. And so starting out, we... Uh, saying, I want, uh, and wanting to be a work of the Lord is, is where it starts. We need to cultivate a heart, a desire, a motivation, because we didn't just saying, I have to be a worker for the Lord, did we? <laughs> or or I, I have a moral obligation to be a worker for the Lord. We said, I want to be a worker for the Lord. How do we cultivate that type of desire to work in the Lord's um, labor and, and his uh, ministry? First of all, God created us to work. Um, sometimes we may think of work as, as a curse. You know, in the beginning of Genesis 3, when we see man sinning in the fall and the curse, we see that he was, had to toil uh, against the, the thorns and the thistles. So work, well, that, that's a curse. At least we may feel that way when we roll over in the morning or trying to shut off our alarm at 5 a.m. Um, but what we see is that work was not just a product of the curse, that work is a gift from God and something that was in his original creation in all of its beauty. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Even before the curse of sin, God gave man a job to do gave him fulfilling work to, to be a blessing to him. And remember when he created woman, what did he say of her? It says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable to him. 
And so she as well is, is given a work, uh, you know, certainly being a, a helper and a sport in many different areas, but I think as well in that work of cultivating God's garden. And so while the curse certainly caused a great bit more toil and difficulty and intensity to that work, that he would labor in the sweat of his brow against the thorns and the thistles, work itself is a gift from God. And it's something that he designed us for. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 Verse 12 and 13, uh, here we see this wisdom literature tells us in verse 12 and 13, I know that there is nothing better for man than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God that we see good in all our labor. Certainly, we, we see good from all our labor. labor. We, we can enjoy the, the produce of that. But he says, uh, find joy uh, or seize good in all his labor, in the labor itself, that we can find joy. Uh, and so God designed us to be people that work. And we find uh, our greatest fulfillment in this life when we are engaging in purposeful work. And so we shouldn't see work, and certainly not the Lord's work, as just some obligation, some task, or even some curse that we have to work. In the beginning, God's creation, man didn't just lounge around doing nothing. God created man to work. And he also put us here to be stewards. We are simply stewards here in this life. Matthew 25, and we're going to refer to the parable of the talents uh, throughout our study today. But Jesus compares the kingdom. He says, for the kingdom or for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Jesus' illustration of who we are as citizens of his kingdom are people that have been entrusted with the master's possessions. We are stewards. And so our life here on earth, the, the air that we breathe, the, the time that we have each day when the sun rises is something entrusted to us, not for our own personal enjoyment. We're, we're not just here on earth to, to live it up for, for our own self-indulgence. We are here as stewards. We are here to use what God has given us for his purposes. Our possessions, our time, our bodies, our very lives are not our own. They are entrusted to us for a purpose. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, if you'd like to turn there. Here we're, we're going to study this next Sunday, so this is a little bit of a, a preview for our Bible class next week. But verse 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. How are we described here? Stewards of the manifold grace of God. And we are entrusted with God's grace so that we might use it in serving. So that we might use it in serving others, not just for our own personal enjoyment. While we can find great fulfillment in that work, that's not the end goal. The end goal is using what God has entrusted with us. And think about this idea of God's manifold grace. What, what does it mean to, uh, that his grace is manifold? You might think many-sided many-faceted. God's grace is so abundant that not a single one of us can hold all of it. We, 
we each have a, a piece of God's grace. We have different gifts that we've been entrusted with that we can use. And so as we look at our work and our life from day to day, we, we need to think, okay, well, what, what, what is my piece of God's grace here? What, what abilities, what resources, what opportunities has he granted me? And how can I use that in doing his work and being a faithful steward? If you look in Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, see how Jesus describes what it means to be disciples here. Luke 17, verse 7, speaking to his disciples, Jesus says, Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which you are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. How is the Christian life described here? So sometimes we, you know, maybe we don't realize it, but we, we get in the mindset that, you know, God is, is there to serve us. And I pray to God and, and he, he's going to bless me. And he wants to give me a fulfilling life. And, and it's all revolving around me and my enjoyment and my fulfillment. That's not what it's about at all. Here we're described as slaves. And our role is to please the master. And if I, you know, sacrifice and if I give my time and my energy into the work of the Lord, that's not something that, you know, should be uh, out of the ordinary. That's not something that, that should be noteworthy. No, that, that's what I was supposed to do in the first place. That's what it, it means to be a, a steward of God's manifold grace. And so we need to see ourselves that way. Jesus, in coming to the earth, Matthew 20 and verse 28, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If that describes Jesus, the creator of the universe, how much more should that describe me? Uh, that I am not here to be served, but I am here to serve. And so we need to see ourselves in that way, see work in that way. We need to also see that hard work brings great reward. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, again, gives us the, the wisdom uh, behind work in, in more of a temporal sense, uh, in this life even, Hard work brings great reward. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 12 says, The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. You, you might think that, that we work real hard so that we can then in, enjoy you know, all, all the food, all the provisions that we need. But here it says the, the sleep of the working man is sweet whether he eats little or much. He, he is working hard, he has purpose, he, he is doing what he's intended to do, uh, and when he gets home, he's tired, <laughs> and he sleeps well. But the rich man, who is neglecting his responsibilities, who's not working hard, who, who just has all of this stored up, he may be full, he may have all his needs provided for, but he doesn't have the same peace. And so even in a temporal sense, even in this life, there is great satisfaction and peace and doing the work that God created us to do. And God intended for us to find fulfillment in that. 
we can pile up riches all we want, but they will never satisfy like the knowledge that we have accomplished the purpose that God has set us here to, to accomplish. But not only in this life, uh, more significantly, there is great reward in laboring in the Lord's vineyard in the life to come. Galatians 6 and verse 9 tells us, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. What, what is the reaping that we're talking about there? It's not just sweet sleep here in this life. Here we're talking about the ultimate harvest, an eternal rest, an eternal reward in the presence of God. God has a Sabbath rest waiting for those who remain faithful, who continue to labor and to do good in his service. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Remember at the end, what, what happens for those uh, servants who were faithful, who uses, used the uh, talents entrusted to them. The Lord, their master, says to them, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That should cultivate a genuine desire for us to labor in the Lord's service. When we think about entering into the joy of our Lord, hearing the creator of the universe say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. And that needs to drive me each day to be a faithful steward of the manifold grace of God. That will be worth every second of toiling here on earth. But just as we have great reward in hard work, there is also... Uh, destruction in idleness, both in this life and in the life to come. Proverbs chapter 26, if you want to turn over to Proverbs for a moment, we'll look at a few passages here. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 14 and 15, describes the, the sluggard or the lazy man to us. It says in verse 14 of Proverbs 26, 14, it says, As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. Do you see this imagery here? You know, like, like a door on its hinges. In contrast to that sweet sleep that we were talking about of the, of the laboring man, here he, he's rolling back and forth. But as, as a door is, is attached to the hinges and it's, it's not going anywhere, you know, he may roll back and forth, but that's about all the movement we're going to get out of him. Uh, he, he's attached there to his bed. Uh, and doesn't get up to do his work. And, and when he goes to eat, he puts his hand down in the, uh, his hand down in the bowl, and it's just so wearisome to, to lift it up to his mouth. You, you see kind of this ridiculous picture of what sometimes really describes us, maybe, maybe not in those uh, stark, obvious terms, but even doing the very things that provide for our nourishment, even doing the very things that provide for our fulfillment, sometimes we see as a great weariness. And yet, if you look back throughout Proverbs, we see the consequences of that. Look in Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, starting in verse 30, we see the result of this sluggard's action. It says in verse 30, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sins. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and you are want like an armed man. 
here, because the, the, the sluggard wouldn't get out of his bed, because he wouldn't do those things that made for his nourishment, uh, we see the curse has overtaken the sluggard. Remember Genesis 3, the thorns and the thistles that were cursed, that, that he was going to have to toil against these things? Well, here the sluggard, in not doing that, has allowed that to overrun his field. Uh, and he doesn't have the, the, the uh, pr- provisions that he needs because he was unwilling to put forth the work uh, that he needed. And there in verse 33, it says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Then your poverty will come as a robber. Laziness does not usually attack us in a full frontal attack. No, normally it's a, it's a little sleep, a little slumber, a, a little bit at a time. You know, uh, j- just five more minutes scrolling through my Facebook feed, you know, uh, ten more minutes sleeping, whatever it might be. You know, I, I j- just, you know, watch one more episode, and before we know it, We've wasted away the time that God has entrusted to us. Bit by bit, Satan is taking away those talents that God has entrusted us to use for his service and using them on fruitless things. That's how laziness attacks us. And so we don't want to be like that one talent man who, in in his case, uh, allowed fear to paralyze him, buried his talents instead of using them for the Lord. Uh, And how does the Lord react to that one talent man? In In Matthew 25, 26, we read, You wicked and lazy slave. He also says, Take away the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sometimes we allow fear to paralyze us. Maybe I don't feel like I have the, the strength. I don't feel like I have the abilities. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen if I you know, go out on a limb and, and, and use what God has given me for his service. Uh, you know, maybe I won't do it right. Maybe others won't react the right way. Maybe, maybe uh, this, that, or the other. That fear caused this one talent man to bury his talents. And in the end, he wasn't called, you know, the, just the, uh, you know, the, the, the fearful slave. He was called the wicked and the lazy slave. We need to make sure that that doesn't uh, describe us. We will give an account of how we have used God's time to him. Are we prepared to give that account? But in addition to cultivating this desire, both motivated by the rewards and the consequences, by our purpose here and being put on earth, we also need to follow through with diligence. I want to be a worker. Uh, We may have that desire, but the desire itself isn't going to make us a worker. We have to follow through. We have to actually go out and do it. And sometimes we think, well, I want to be a worker, but I got this going on right now, and there's this other thing, and, well, tomorrow I'll be a worker. Next week, you know, in, in a year, when, when, when my life kind of gets organized and everything's where it needs to be, then I'll be a worker for the Lord. Well, our time is very limited. We need to be a worker now. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, we're told, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for... 
There is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Why is it that we need to use all the energy, all the might that we have here and now? Here, his reasoning is that this is your opportunity. You're not going to have a chance to use those abilities uh, after uh, you have been taken by the grave. And so we can't have a I'll get around to it mindset. We need to take advantage of the opportunities that God is granting us, of the talents that he has entrusted us with. Uh, John 9 and verse 4, Jesus had this attitude about his own ministry. In verse 4 of John chapter 9, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. Jesus had a great urgency about his work, about his ministry. He knew his death was coming, and so every day he was using his time, his opportunities to do God's work, to preach the message. Imagine for a moment that you knew you had exactly three years left. And three years, all, all your task here on earth was going to be done. How would that affect your thinking about your work for the Lord each day? Jesus had a great awareness uh, that his death was coming. And he had a great urgency about accomplishing that work. Uh, and this, this imagery of doing it while it is day, while it is light, you know, we, there's going to come a time where, where the sun is setting on our life, and I, I need to work while I still have daylight. And I don't know when that sunset is going to be. Maybe it's going to be three years. Maybe it's going to be less than three years. Maybe it's going to be more. We need to see this great urgency in our work for the Lord, to put our hand to the plow now. And not only is our time limited, but the work is unlimited. There is much work to do. The passage that we read together uh, a moment ago in Matthew chapter 9, notice Jesus' perspective on the Lord's work. In Matthew 9, starting verse 36, it says, Jesus, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Is that the way that we see the world around us? I'm afraid sometimes we, we see all the, the darkness. We, we see all the, the difficulties, the evil in the world around us, and we think, well, there, there's just not much of a harvest in today's world. The, the, the darker the world is, the brighter the light can shine. Um, and, and think about it this way. If, if I was to teach one person the gospel every day for the next 50 years, I would reach less than 1% of the people in the metropolitan area of Pittsburgh. That's how plentiful the harvest is. That is how many workers we need to go out into the harvest to reach people with the light of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, in our day, the harvest is plentiful. We have limited time and we have an abundance of work to do, brethren. And Jesus will not accept excuses. We see in the wisdom literature of Proverbs, uh, the, the lazy man often makes excuses. Proverbs 26, verse 13 says, The sluggard says, There is a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. 
Why, why is the sluggard saying there's a lion in the road? Well, I, I think what we see is the sluggard doesn't want to go out to work. He, he doesn't want to go out. And, and so whether he's making this up or imagining this or whether it's really the case, he, he's saying, well, you know, I'm going to get mauled by that lion out there. Uh, I, I can't go out and do that. I need to stay here in my home. That, that's very similar to what we see with the one-talent man, right? He's fearful that he might lose that one talent, and so he keeps that, uh, he allows that fear to keep him from using what God has entrusted to him. Do we do that? Do we, do we fear that, that if we do work for the Lord the way that he wants us to, what might happen? What persecution might arise? What rejection? Uh, that we might mess it up. We can't allow that to keep us from doing the work that God has given us. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus is uh, approached by some who want to follow him. And notice what he says to these three individuals. Starting in verse 57, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Here, what it means to be a disciple, what it takes to be a disciple, uh, is, is something that Jesus wants these people to understand. And there, that, that first individual says, I will follow you wherever you go. I, I will work, I will pray, I will labor every day. And what does Jesus say? He says, are you sure you understand what, what you're committing to? This means you're going to have to sacrifice some things. This means that you're not going to have a place to lay your head sometimes. That you may be rejected by men. And here these other two, as they voice this, uh, or as Jesus asked them to, to follow him, um, they have some other thing that they, they feel they need to get done. I'll follow you, but let me first go do this. Let me first go do that, even when it has to do with their own family. What does Jesus say? Elsewhere we see Jesus saying, anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I believe that's Luke 14. And so we need to be willing to have the type of commitment uh, that we're not going to make excuses. That we're willing to make whatever sacrifices necessary to put our hands to the plow. If, if you want a, a good sermon outline here, verse 57 and 58 gives us the persecution that a disciple is going to face. Verse 59 and 60 tells us that a disciple must proclaim the message, and then verse 61 and 62 tells us that we must plow. So, persecution, proclaim, plow. That, that's what it means to be a Christian. Uh, we, we need to be involved in the work, put our hand to the plow, not look back, be involved each day in proclaiming the message. And before we move on from this, hard work will always be hard. I, I think sometimes we, we sit around waiting for work to come naturally. That, you know, there, there's going to come a time where 
you know, things in my life will just be how they uh, all lined up, and then it'll come naturally, and then I'll be able to go out and tell other people about the, the gospel, and then I can... Now, hard work is always hard. Uh, we can't just sit back and wait for the time to come. Um, it's never magically going to be easy or come naturally. We have to be willing to get started, to train our flesh to, to do the work. Uh, sometimes we, we use the excuse, we say, well, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There, there is some legitimacy to making that statement. However, when the Bible makes that statement, it's not saying what we think it's saying. When Jesus in Matthew 26 and verse 41 told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he tells them, uh, watch and pray that you do not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying, I know you're going to betray me, but it's okay. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. I understand. Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying the spirit is willing, but the flesh is untrained. The flesh is weak. You need to do something about that. We can't use that as an excuse. God wants us to buffet our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to turn over there, look at how Paul describes the Christian life. And he, in his own life, uh, as he continued to, to struggle each day to work hard at serving the Lord. He says in verse 24, beginning, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way, not as without aim. I box in such a way, not as beating the ear. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Here, the Christian life is described as a, a fight, a, a race, something that we have to exercise self-discipline, self-control each day to train our bodies, train our flesh. There in verse 27, when Paul says, I discipline my body, literally, some of the older versions say, I buffet my body. I, I beat it down. I bring it into subjection. I'm taking my flesh and I am forcing it in subjection to my spirit so that I might do the Lord's work, so that I might bring glory to him. Even Paul, someone who was, was trained in doing this day in and day out, he still each day had to get up and to discipline his flesh. He still had to work hard. It's never just going to come easy. Taking up your cross and following Jesus doesn't sound like a very easy thing, does it? No, it requires sacrifice. It requires discipline. But that is what God has called us to. And all of that needs to have the proper direction, the proper focus. For the Lord, remember who our master is. Our work is never focused on self. We talked about the rewards that we receive from that, even in this life and certainly in the life to come. But while Jesus gives that to us as, as a motivation, that, that is not the motivation within itself. That I, I, I want to serve, I want to labor so that God will give me heaven. Now my focus in that is bringing glory to him. So that I can be in the presence of the Lord because I love the Lord. It's not just I, I want pearls and I want gold. and That's not what the Bible focuses on. 
our work should never be focused on self. Acts 20, verse 35, when Paul again talks about his own work, he is talking to the elders in Ephesus, and he tells them, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul labored very diligently, but why? Was it for his own fulfillment? He said, I showed you you must labor in this way so that you may help the weak, so that you may give, so that you may serve. It's not about me. The goal of our labor is serving. Ephesians 4 and verse 28, as he talks about putting on the new man there, he says in verse 28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. He doesn't say, so that he will have a nice cushy retirement fund, so that he can live it up. So that, you know, he'll have a nice house and a nice car. He says, so that he may minister, so that he may share with one who has need. We are entrusted with these talents. We are, have been put here on earth not to serve ourselves, not for our own enjoyment, but so that we might equip ourselves to serve others and to serve the Lord and to bring him glory. And our work is an opportunity to bring glory to God. Remember 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we talked about being uh, stewards of the manifold grace of God. Well, the next verse, verse 11, says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why is it that we're laboring? Well, we're, we're, we're speaking not from our own words, but from God's words. We're laboring not with our own strength, but with God's strength, so that God might be glorified. So that people will look at us and see God working through us. Matthew chapter 5, shining our lights. Uh, what, what do we read there? Verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They have to see our good works. We need to be working or else we can't be shining our light. I, I can't shine my light just sitting on my couch. I have to be working. But, but what's the end goal there? So that they may give glory to God. We have to connect the dots. We have to make sure it is understood that this is the strength which God supplies. This wisdom is not coming from me. It's coming from God. This character is not coming from me. It's coming from God. That's how we shine our lights. We labor, we work with a focus on the Lord. Proclaiming, as we read there in Luke chapter 9, proclaiming the message of the Lord. We need to remember that the Lord is our head supervisor. He is our ultimate judge. Let's look at one last passage together. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 here, as uh, very similar to what we've read in 1 Peter recently, we have instructions to slaves. Uh, and slavery in the first century would have been one of the most common forms of employment. So while it might not apply to me or you as, as 
literal slaves today. Certainly uh, these ideas apply to us in any work that we set our hands to. And so here in Colossians 3, starting in verse 22, we read, Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The word Lord shows up quite a few times there, doesn't it? Because where is our focus? Our focus isn't on pleasing men, on getting their approval, uh, isn't on this sense of fulfillment that I receive from it. Focus is on giving glory to the Lord. He is the one who is going to be my judge. He is the one who is watching. He is the one whose standards I need to be uh, following. He is the one who I'm going to give an account to. And it doesn't matter if I'm working a nine-to-five job or if I'm working at home or if I'm working wherever it may be. When it comes to our service to the Lord, I'm always on the clock. Uh, Every minute of every day, I'm seeking to please my employer, my supervisor. And so we need to each day have a, a real consciousness of who it is we are serving, why it is we are here on earth, whose stewards we are. It doesn't matter uh, in this life if, if we're promoted or if we're fired. Uh, one day our true master is going to return and to take inventory of how we have used his talents. We will give an account for our time, our abilities, our possessions, and he will determine if we are welcomed into the joy of our Lord or if we are cast out. And so what about you? You can set down your mirrors now. What, what did you see in the mirror of God's word? Do you want to be a worker for the Lord? You said you did. I said I did. And I said that I would. Will we? Will we, as we go out, be workers in the Lord's vineyard? Will we set our hands to the plow each day? Our time is limited and the harvest is plentiful. We need not to allow the the, uh, laziness of, of the sluggard to creep up on us. We need each day to renew our diligence, to renew our motivation, to work for the Lord's glory, for his purposes, um, that his name might be magnified in the world around us. If there's anyone here today who recognizes that they need to make a change, maybe, maybe the change that you need to make is a public change. Maybe you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren. Maybe you need to commit your life to the Lord for the first time. By God's grace, you can become a laborer in his vineyard. You can become one of those workers in his harvest. You can put off the old man. Uh, You can confess your uh, faith in Jesus as the Christ. By God's grace, you can bury the old man in the waters of baptism. You can be raised to walk in newness of life. Will you respond to God's grace today? Will you come back to him? Will you commit your life to him? If there is anyone who has need uh, to make some public change, we ask that you'll let us know at this time as we sing.